So welcome to Defen guys. It's uh, I think episode um, 92 something I think. But this time it's a uh, what do you call this there like a double bill no that's double guest the double the fun. <laughs> <laughs> double trouble. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so four microphones so we were able to sort all the technology uh, crap already. Maybe a quick uh, introduction round uh, so people will know who who you are and where you are from and I mean probably they know from the title of the podcast but yeah <laughs> let's like spoil it a lot. <laughs> well I'd like to know for a start you know. So <laughs> <laughs> who are you? Yeah. Why are you in this meeting this podcast? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead Magna. Magna? Yeah, hello. Uh, my name is Magna Sven and uh If you have heard my voice before it's probably on Emacs Rocks or Parents of the Dead. And uh, I'm here probably because someone asked me to join. <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been programming culture since uh, 2013 and uh, started using Emacs the, the two years before that. This Thanks to Christian. This Emacs Rocks <laughs> by the way just quick is, is that like the rocks from which Emacs is made out of? What 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 is this Emacs Rocks? <laughs> It's uh it's the rocks that is followed by an exclamation mark. Oh okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll come to it later. Emacs, we'll come to it later. Okay. Emacs rocks they are the ones that we use as weapons <laughs> towards people who don't use Emacs. So you just keep throwing at them like use Emacs, use Emacs. <laughs> working right. for you. Okay. Sorry, Christian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so my name is uh, Christian Johansen and um I don't know if people probably don't know my voice but I do the Parents of the Dead screencast with Magnar and um I've done some open source stuff with Clojure and um I've been working with Clojure now for I don't know I started at the same time as Magnar <laughs> but he was a bit more fortunate than me so I had to do some more years of JavaScript <laughs> so oh. I don't know like seven years or something full time now Yeah and I've been using Emacs since university and um I forced it on Magnar the first time we worked together. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah that was uh, that was nice. This I didn't know. <laughs> I was using TextMate at the time and um mm. I really liked the extensibility of TextMate which of course is majorly trumped trumped by uh, Emacs but yeah. uh we sat down to pair program uh, maybe the first or second day together <laughs> at uh, work. And uh, and I had text made up, and we, I think maybe Christian lasted half an hour before I said, "Yeah, no, I'm not going to do this." <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, get the, the Emacs going, and uh, yeah, it didn't take very long before I started making the Emacs rocks. You got the rocks out and started throwing them at you, and you just <laughs> yeah, totally. Exactly. I think it's funny because it, like Mong, I was using like what I would say is a pretty mainstream. Uh, editor like you could use normal keybindings to get things done <laughs> and i just said like i don't want to do this so, and then he had to learn this very strange monster of a editor <laughs> but uh yeah yeah and uh, i had hearts in my eyes the entire back time. It, back in yeah, the day yeah. was that yeah. when you were like sat next to each other did you do it remotely at that time no no, no, no. That, was, that was 2011 so it was uh, into the office every day right yeah, yeah. cuz i always think like pair programming Like obviously it started in person so like when when he was using like textmate and you were using Emacs 
kind of I can sort of see when you're sharing a screen or something that it would bother you, or is it because of what 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 bothered you actually? Other than the sort of like the feeling that somebody else might not be using Emacs, what was the problem? You know? <laughs> okay, <laughs> so, let me clear okay. up one thing. I, I... <laughs> So I did not have like a moral objection with him using his own okay, tools. Okay. It was Just for when we it. were pair programming. No, yeah, it was for pair programming, right? So right. when I was to type on his computer, ah, okay, I had okay. to type it into this shitty... Right. <laughs> oh, there, there is no moral judgment, except there is right, a shitty right, editor. Okay. <laughs> for my taste, yeah. for my taste. That's true. That's so this, yeah, is, yeah, so this is because you, you weren't using a shared drive with the computing stuff on it. It was just like, you know, just one... one. No, we like this uh, one computer actually, pair, yeah yeah pair programming yeah uh, <laughs> uh so, like a, yeah. as god intended so one person on the shoulder <laughs> other person typing and no i know but yeah, in the remote then, setting you don't do it like that anymore do you you tend to like yeah, commit yeah, it yeah, and then true. you know oh. do that no we do we still do that oh you do it even remotely screen, yeah. oh you do it yeah, with yeah. tmux or something i suppose no, uh, uh we use uh i'm not sure am i allowed to mention uh Commercial product. Oh sure, yeah, yeah, sure. Sure. yeah. <laughs> We use a we use a app called Tuple, Tuple app. Oh, was, uh, um, and it's uh, it works really well. So you have screen sharing, and then you can use the keyboard, even with like um, control sequences, and everything works. No, oh, nice. Um, so you have yeah, few tools, and it it's not um, it's not specific to any app. It's just uh, in the operating system. And you can just use the keyboard on the other person's machine as if it were your own. This feels nice. like a terrible so, security breach to me, but okay, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I guess you would not invite people you don't trust on that <laughs> tool. Yeah, I've seen all the it's movies, not, so you know, like... it's the people that you do trust that are the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the wives getting killed by their husbands, not by strangers. You know, it's the same with uh, keyboards. <laughs> I don't trust my. I keep my enemies close. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. Joking yeah, aside, I mean, yeah. But so it was like it was. So you were uh, doing like sitting next to each other, and then you swapped computers. You saw, he just passed the computer to you, and you sort of essentially threw it in a bin, and you know. Dished it, fished it out of the bin and said, install ah, Emacs. Install Emacs. God damn it. Yeah. Something like that. And then uh, he took it and ran with it to say to <laughs> put it very lightly. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's, that's very I'm, nice. It's um, very nice. I must say, um, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing your name correctly, Magnar. Is it G silent or is it? I, I would say uh, you have a very good pronunciation. Uh, Okay, I'm not going to say it again. Then I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. And then, <laughs> but you know, um, I used to watch your Emacs rocks. Uh, you know, s small episodes and like a super quick things. And there are so many ton of things that that Emacs can do that I didn't know. And like, and especially the way that you do the multiple cursor stuff. And within seconds, you show something super magical stuff. It's it's really really amazing. And I I was hoping it will keep continuing for years and years. <laughs> But uh, yeah, but it's it's a really um, uh, I think it's yeah as you mentioned like ten years ago or seven years ago or something. Yeah, it's and, uh, crazy. It's uh, eleven years since I started, and yeah. the thing that happened uh, is uh, quite simple. Uh, I got used to it. <laughs> you know, in in the beginning, everything was amazing. Uh, yeah, the first episode is sort of like, wow, it's amazing how you can do work with regions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and then. Uh, <laughs> 
those things aren't doesn't don't feel amazing anymore. Um, yeah. But we have recently, uh, sort of like the last month, uh, done an Emacs reboot, mm. and uh, discovered some pretty cool things. So I'm hoping to do a couple Emacs Rocks episodes based Ooh, on that. Oh, nice, nice. But which came first? Is it is it Emacs or Closure for you both? We yeah, started but for Christian, with... probably it's uh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. We, we started working together on in JavaScript, and yeah. um, we were trying to do functional programming in JavaScript um, mm. for a long while. We created our own uh, DOM rendering library to sort oh. of do um, the 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 render the entire DOM from data idea that was in React. Mm. Uh, yep. Prior to React, we just didn't have the, the key there, was was the shadow DOM <laughs> for the speed. Um, so we were very primed for the ideas uh, that uh, Clojure uh, came with um, because we had frustratingly tried to work functional in JavaScript for a while. Mm. Uh, so I remember um, th- like the the tipping point for me was watching Simple Made Easy by, of course, our very own Rich Hickey. And uh, I remember every couple of minutes watching that talk in my own living room, I had to press the pause button and walk around in my living room <laughs> shouting, yes, exactly, <laughs> that's it. And then continue watching You're the like, video. like, this guy gets it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we were so primed for it. And mm-hmm. another aspect was that, because uh, we'd also been like really infatuated with uh, Emacs Lisp. So we'd mm, yeah. really charmed by, by the whole Lisp thing. So we had, we'd kind of started working on the functional programming side and we started working on the Lisp. Mm. Which, uh, interestingly, like Emacs Lisp is <laughs> is as unfunctional as you can get it. But <laughs> any, anyway, then comes this language that solved all our problems and combined those two things into one tool that would be best worked on in Emacs. Mm. It's just just the perfect mm-hmm. package. So going back a little bit further, then, like, where did you? Why did you kind of like want to do functional programming in JavaScript? Because obviously, that's well, that's not the obvious thing to do in JavaScript. So where does that idea come from? I think it started sort of with um, uh, seeing how immensely, how much failure was to be found in using jQuery. Right. Hmm. Um, Because there you would uh, sort of just manipulate the DOM piecemeal Mm -hmm. uh, using invocations that were, yeah. We don't have to go into all that, but it was a mess and it was a buggy mess. And it was, um, we were trying to find solutions to that, basically. Mm-hmm. So where did you come across like that idea? Was it was that Rich or was that before Rich that you kind of like uh, hit upon this, this Damascian kind of uh, concept that functional programming could help you out there? I think it was a little bit before. before. Yeah. Um, I don't remember what, you know how we fell into it, but I do remember I I gave a talk which I remember well, um, which was called "Step Away from the For Loop," <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, the main idea in that talk was that I I discovered like map filter, and uh, I I kind of discovered that this thing that we're using all the time, this loop, is being used for very different kinds of tasks. And mm. using these functions, you can separate those kinds of tasks, and then you can puzzle them back together. 
and this will give you more composable code or whatever. You could mm -hmm. like separate the things instead of doing filter and map at the same time in a for loop, make one filtering function and one mapping function. Yeah. That's, I remember that very vividly, but uh, I don't remember how we came upon it. I think I maybe know where we first uh, stumbled upon it. And I think uh, separately, but probably from the same source. And that was when we started using Ruby. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, when, you, when you mentioned TextMate, um, I was kind of thinking you must be doing Ruby because that seems to be the editor for Ruby shit back in the day. Yeah, uh, for and, everything. So, and the only reason I wasn't using TextMate is I, I didn't use a Mac at the time. I was using oh, right, Linux. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I just uh, kept on to Emacs, which I learned yeah. in university. But yeah, but we both is... we both came from Ruby in some mm -hmm. way. I think. Yeah, I mean, TextMate was. I mean, uh, of course. I mean, I, I use Emacs, but it was a very high quality editor, and the the way it was built, and there is a reason why it took over Mac editing. Pretty much, right? I mean, there is there is a super native and behaves like a Mac application, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then has amazing text rendering stuff and everything, and yeah, fast. Anyway, um, but it's an open source thing right now, so maybe you know people still hack on that that stuff. I don't know. <laughs> I think like also many uh, Magnar created a whole lot of packages when he was picking up Emacs, and uh, a lot of them were inspired by things in TextMate. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think is that right? Um, yes, uh, multiple cursors, uh, yep. which I created for Emacs, um, yep. is inspired by TextMate. And my other most popular uh, user-facing package is Expand Region. And that was inspired oh. by IntelliJ. Okay, cool. Pull one out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but that's the, that's the beauty of it, right? Yeah. You, can, you, can, you can build these things without someone else you know, uh, building this this stuff for you inside uh, the proprietary editor, or you need to wait for this thing. You can just immediately hack it and then put it into that one. Yeah. Um, let's. I think we'll 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 talk more about Emacs, and we'll, pretty much we'll only talk about Emacs today, anyway. Sure. Uh, but just as a you know, a little bit of a digression <laughs> into a tiny, tiny into other things. <laughs> yeah, tiny digression into uh, into some other world. So you mentioned you started with JavaScript, right? But um, Ruby. Um, yeah, Ruby, but then you know, doing JavaScript and then moving into into Clojure. But uh, I didn't hear any JVM related stuff that you did, or what we're using uh, for the server side or whatever. Because Clojure, at least initially, maybe pre twenty thirteen, I would say, was predominantly JVM anyway, right? And and then, yeah, um, yeah, I didn't have a, a a lot of experience with the JVM at all. Uh, I, mm. I mean, I learned Java in, in university. I worked with Android for a year or so, 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 uh, but yeah. that's about it. So <laughs> I'm still learning about the JVM. <laughs> oh. So we all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I actually made my own editor in Java. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. This, okay. this is like the <laughs> opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> this, is, we, this is where we need the intervention, actually. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I wanted to create a, a, an editor for my text game, and uh, yep. I, I, the only program language that I knew on the PC because I had programmed mainly on the Amiga for ten years uh, was Java. So I had to use that, and so I I remember uh, drawing my own cursor using the graphics two uh, D graphics oh, library, wow. draw rect. <laughs> yeah. 
so I, I created it in my, my own cursor and wrote my own font metrics mm-hmm. and everything. Nice. So. Whoa. So that was fun. <laughs> so you're much more closer to JVM closure than Christian was. Possibly. Um, but I, I, I su- there was, there was, this was the, t- the time when it wasn't cool to do front end development. Yeah. It was, uh, peop- the, the thing that people uh, thought about when they thought about front end development was bad pop ups and marquee text. And, um, so uh, since I always wanted to do, I, I just wanted to build shit, <laughs> yep. uh, you know, so I had to yep. I actually also do the front end stuff. So when I came into like a workplace, I was pretty much the only person there that wanted to touch HTML and CSS. And oh. I sort of became an expert in Internet Explorer 6 at some point. <laughs> so uh, no one wants to be the expert in Internet Explorer 6, but it was just... You had to do yeah. that stuff. It's like being the printer <laughs> so, guy or something, you know. It's like <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I think actually being the printer guy is much worse. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah postscript, yeah, true. The pr- printers are <laughs> a work of the devil. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, I actually, uh, j- this is just a funny uh, anecdote. Uh, at some point, every consultant at the place that I was uh, working at the time got thrown out. Oh. And uh, one month later, I was the first consultant they brought back in because of my Internet Explorer 6 experience. <laughs> hey, there you go, kids. If you want job guarantee, learn COBOL. Go and learn. <laughs> yes, like COBOL, no, yeah. no, learn, learn Internet Explorer 6. <laughs> they, they had created an entirely new, uh, new page uh, that was going to be used by mainly every adult Norwegian <laughs> and oh. w- watched in Internet Explorer 6. It was just a white blank page. <laughs> <laughs> and they had no idea what was going on. Yeah. Let's get Mungner back. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, uh, I, uh, so there's a lot of like useless stuff that I know about uh, IE6. But at the same time, a lot of the things that I learned at that time is still useful to me, right? Yeah. There hasn't been that many changes to the fundamentals. Like the, mm. There's some new stuff you can pick up and... And it seems to me that's it's a pretty big shift. Like people today don't necessarily start with the basics. Mm-hmm. They start yeah. with React or whatever and then slowly work their way down to whatever is actually happening. Yeah. But we worked for many years just moving basics around. Mm-hmm. And that has been tremendously useful to me in all the years after. I'm, I'm curious if people these days actually know that X in Ajax <laughs> came from IE being XML HTTP request. You know, that, that's the, it's it's like the floppy disk icon or something. Like things things have become forward, you know, but but at some point IE5 and IE6 were the chromes of the of the day. And, yeah. you know, or Braves of the day or whatever, the new web kit of the day. I mean, they, they really pushed shit forward with, with IE. I mean, Otherwise, yeah. we wouldn't have. I mean, we we might have better <laughs> technologies than than what they had, but the plugin mechanisms and all that crap. I think uh, there was a IE thing back back uh, back then. Yeah, and then later maybe they decided to fuck everyone up. But. Yeah, I mean, uh, the main problem with IE six is that they declared that they won the browser wars and they mm-hmm. stopped working on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, like for close to ten years or something. Yeah, uh, because they had whatever 95% market share or mm, something mm. they mm. didn't need to work on it yeah yeah <laughs> the complacency 
Yeah. But so what what was the first um I'm not sure how much you can uh talk about your your closure projects themselves but it'll be nice to know you know the, the stack and where did you start and what kind of closure projects that you initially you you worked on and then you thought well this is great and this is shit and we should go back to you know <laughs> writing javascript <laughs> was was there a moment or <laughs> At the moment where this is shit has not uh, occurred yet. <laughs> Great. <That's right. laughs> yeah. The very first project that I uh, used Closure for was uh, my text game. Uh, because yep. I almost all the technologies that I've been using, have, have I tried it first there, mm. uh, <laughs> which is a, a fun way to experiment with st stuff. Uh, but yeah, I've um, I've been working professionally with uh, Clojure since 2013, and mm -hmm. uh, quite a lot of different um, uh, customers, um, mm -hmm. but all from a sort of corporate event uh, planning to uh, uh, tech docs mm -hmm. to um, uh, mobile apps, um, oh. and yeah, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. I, we could mention like the first project we did though, because that's uh, quite fun. So we were uh, hired to do um, to do uh, to write technical documentation as why well we were hired. <laughs> so there's a this uh, okay. uh, yeah yeah. We did I all mean, this nightmare. <laughs> we no no, no. Uh, we went in, into this uh, with a great plan because uh, this is like a payment and um, SSO provider right. in Norway, pretty pretty big one, and they uh, needed proper API docs. Mm -hmm. And they needed someone to work full-time writing them, and mm -hmm. they pitched the project to us, and we said, yeah, sure. They wanted us to put a, write it in Confluence. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so we said, like, okay, wow. so you want to hire us for three months to write uh, documentation in Confluence. Fine, we'll do it. <laughs> but and then we whispered like we're not going to do it in confidence. <laughs> <laughs> there was a small you know asterisk yeah, in your yeah. contract so, and then that said oh, not really. <laughs> no, so the so then what we did so I remember the first demo we did for them was very cool because we presented exactly what they had asked for it's like mm -hmm. here's a bunch of documentation inside yep. confidence. Um but uh that had been produced by a closure program. Uh, that exported everything and uh, used the cl um, uh, Confluence APIs mm -hmm. to stuff the docs in there. So we wrote Ooh. a system instead to build the documentation <laughs> site as a standalone site, yeah. and then with yeah. the option of exporting everything into Confluence. And then we we said something along the lines of like, so this is what we have. Uh, you can use this standalone site that we built for you. Yep. Or if you want the documentation to die, you can export it into Confluence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the the cool thing there was that we integrated it with the real API, so uh, you mm -hmm. can. Well, this is uh, more normal these days, but you could yeah. uh, you could watch uh, example requests in many different languages and look at the example response and so on. And all mm -hmm. those things were tested against the sandbox uh, API, so uh, it, were, it was real. It was a real uh, results there, and so on. Uh, so uh, that wouldn't be possible uh, in Confluence, but we did export it to Confluence, so they always had an out. The thing I found, the thing I found, by the way, <clears throat> I used to do some like programming with Atlassian tools, and I don't know if you found this, but their APIs were just constantly evolving. By which I mean breaking. 
all the time. Every <laughs> every minor version, they would just like change some parameters or some API. Would, then they'd tell you like in the release notes at the bottom, like forty pages down. Oh yeah, this API changes. <laughs> Meanwhile, you just your build breaks. It's like ah, what? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, we didn't actually work a lot with those APIs because uh, they wanted to use the standalone tool that we built. So mm. we built that just to have kind of done what we were told. Right, right. But <laughs> I mean, uh, because it wasn't uh, it wasn't originally like a programming project, which allowed yeah, us to, yeah, to yeah. just pick a tool that we wanted to use, and so we picked Clojure, and yeah. we did everything <laughs> with Clojure. That's a really perfect sure I'm, I'm, perfect way of doing things. Yeah. And that site is still running today, I think. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But I'm not sure if I'm remembering it correctly, but I thought Atlassian at some point was using Clojure Script. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe for the editor or some shit. They were definitely using Clojure on the back end because they've they've had various Uh, blogs hmm. from Clojure people uh, over the years, I think. I don't Mm, know if it's still the case, but yeah. Yeah. You never know. Know that uh, they're on acquiring spree, yeah. and then they, at this at this point, they probably use every language on the planet. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say like they're so big that yeah, it's yeah probably exactly. some team using whatever tool. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is a this is a completely different story of sneaking closure in because usually the, the way closure gets in is like oh they're using a Java Java shop and then we're just putting a jar somewhere so without people noticing that it's written in closure. But this is this seems to be a bit more. Um, ocean level type <laughs> sneaking sneaking closure into the thing into a documentation project yeah, yeah. It's, it's just it is crazy nice um but what was the so so you you build this tool and is this something that um like a commercial product or it's only for them to be used or uh the, the documentation generating thingy uh, no, it's built specifically for that oh, it's project. Like custom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, but I, I don't remember. Uh, did we use Stasis for that? Online? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm. What's that? Uh, Stasis is uh, a library of uh, tools for building static web pages that uh, um. I created. Um, I think that one maybe was my first uh, closure. Um, yeah. The very first thing I made with Clojure, even before my adventure game, oh, when I think about okay. it, uh, mm. I created Stasis, which was basically uh, a ring middleware so mm-hmm. that you could work uh, locally, uh, sort of like just a normal web server, and an export uh, function oh. to, uh, to print all the HTML files that you wanted. Okay. And I used that to, um, to create the... Uh, website for the consultancy that I was working in at the time. So just, I mean, and we can all knock the Confluence stuff, but they do have an editor. Uh, and again, you can knock that editor because it is terrible. But um, <laughs> d- did you have an editor as well? Or were you just like writing Markdown con- and or ASCII doc or whatever, and then just like pushing it out to HTML or then into Confluence? Yeah, Mark- Markdown yeah. To, to HTML. And, and then we built the system. Well, yeah, Eden, yeah. And then just like a system that pulls together code examples. Right. Uh, yeah. But they were in source files because they could also be run as tests. Yeah, stuff like this. So we had a system that, uh, like when you deployed the site, it would actually check that all the code examples worked. Okay. It's oh, like a book publishing nice. system, really. You know, all these people that write <laughs> closure books should use your tools. 
Yeah, it's too bad it's owned by a commercial God company. <laughs> <laughs> well, they can always, uh, you know, rewrite it. <laughs> I, I mean, it wasn't that hard. From memory. Like, we, yeah, yeah, but we wrote most of this stuff in three yeah, months. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. yeah. But is, is it closure JVM thing then? Uh, so closure then, not closure script. Okay. Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. Nice. So um, what about the, the game stuff that you built, uh, Magnar? Is it... Um, I think that's a podcast on its own. But, uh, <laughs> it, the, it's that's going to be next episode. <laughs> it's uh, it's a Norwegian text adventure game that oh. I have been writing and working on the last twenty five years. Whoa! Um, and it's uh, the the text the, the amount of text in the game is uh, two times the Harry Potter <laughs> series. Oh, okay, okay. So it's uh, about two point four million words. Um, wow, and it's uh, the current uh, incarnation. The first one was written on the Amiga, and mm -hmm. I've written several engines for the game up through the years. But the current incarnation, and I think, and I hope, final <laughs> uh, is uh, <laughs> is written with Clojure and Clojure Script and Datomic. So it's a very nice place to uh, to spend some free time and mm. building new features. That's that's a pretty, you know. Uh, jump from Amiga to Datomic, you know, <laughs> there's yes. a, there, there is a lot of history in this in, in between. Yeah. So how do you distribute it? How is it is? So the idea is that you have some package that you distribute and it all fires up locally or is it a multiplayer no, it's a web, game? It's a web game. It's a web game. Okay. It's a web game. So uh, people go to uh, adventure.no, uh, which is the uh, URL, and then they play there. It's... Um, it's uh, quite <laughs> quite a weird thing, uh, but it's uh, a lot of fun to make. Yeah, but it's a, sing a single. It's a lot of fun to play. Is as it well. a single player yeah. game oh, or a multiplayer imagine. game? Or? No, it's a single yeah. Maybe maybe you know, just give give us the, the pitch. Yeah. Game game trial. You know, okay, not trial. Yeah. How do you call that? Like the game advertisement. <laughs> so uh, so once you go to the web page and you press start game, mm -hmm. you are presented mm -hmm. with some text. Yeah. And then you read the text and then you're presented with some alternatives right. and you choose an alternative and that's basically how it goes. Mm. And uh, there are several examples of this on the internet, but those examples have maybe um, five to ten minutes gameplay. Mm. Yeah. And you can play uh, this game for hundreds of hours. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it like Rick and Morty, you know, oh, now you're in a forest. No, no, you're at an airport. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah your your uh, mom is dead. Your mom is leaving the airport now. <laughs> it, it used to be like that when I started <laughs> writing it uh, as an 18 year old or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, no, it's now uh, pretty much a fantasy, a silly fantasy game. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I would I would add that Magnus is uh, severely underselling his game <laughs> at this point, but <laughs> as as Norwegians do. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of uh, well. The overall form is like explained, but there's a lot of uh, um, complexity in yeah, the implementation. Layers. Yeah, yeah, lots of layers, and you can build, you, you can become a good person or a bad person that will shape the story you see. And right. it's like, oh, mm. yeah, there are five thousand commits of features in the engine. <laughs> Whoa! And and where is so the uh, you know. I don't want to, you know, uh, um, make you spoil the game for anybody by revealing about <laughs> how it ends, uh, all that stuff. And and when I mean, we can just read the entire two point five million words here, and then let people, you know, 
<laughs> get it. <laughs> but but I'm curious, where is the data stored? So the the whole thing is stored in Datomic, or is it you know why Datomic for this? Because it doesn't seem like you it's need a, Datomic a, type of good, database here. It's a good question. Um, uh, first of all, uh, since I wrote the game on the Amiga, uh, it, it could easily have been lost. And uh, luckily, it didn't because I, I, my first adventure that I wrote, I wrote in the code with print lines and go to yeah. and the read string. And yeah, you know, mm. um, and that game quickly turned impossible <laughs> to uh, expand. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the next thing I did, and this was when I created the engine, um, I started writing to files. Mm. So each, uh, each page, has text and alternatives, and that was that got a page number, mm. and that page was then stored on disk as a text file. And uh, that, this is the reason that I actually have the game today, because I could take those files and move it to the PC, and I could parse them with other languages, and so on and so on. So there are still text files, and I have, of course, an Emacs mode to edit them <laughs> with yes. uh, IntelliSense uh, sort of features and so on. <laughs> that is connected on the Datomic running uh, version because text files must be read and parsed and so mm -hmm. on. So yeah. all of the content in the game is also in Datomic, uh, mm. sort of like a quick lookup so I can find IntelliSense information while writing and stuff like that. Mm. But the reason that I need Datomic, other than it's freaking cool, <laughs> uh, which I think maybe it started as, yeah. is that uh, your, well, the main protagonist that you're playing has a superpower. And mm -hmm. that superpower is time, time travel. travel. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, I had implemented time travel in PHP and in Java. <laughs> Uh, and uh, that was horrible. <laughs> that was a mess. I have I have two PHP implementations of my time travel, and uh, okay, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to do this one because it's too cool. Uh, I had not been able to fully uh, or correctly implement time travel in PHP. It was mm. pretty good. It was 98, 99% there, but there were some cases that I hadn't been able to handle properly. Mm. And that was explained in the game as time travel is magical. <laughs> it's, you can't explain yeah. it. So if something weird goes on, it's the magical nature of time travel. <laughs> um, that, but, that's one way to you know roll your bugs into features. Uh, like, yes, exactly. This is, this is part of the grand design. Another way of yeah. looking at it is it's time you'll never get back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, but uh, with Datomic, I can always know whatever state you were in at whatever point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm. the the all the magical thinking around time travel disappeared with the the closure version <laughs> of the game. So what you're saying is closure removed the magic from your game. <laughs> oh, there's other magic, okay. probably, but not I'm the sure. not the fluky, flaky time travel yeah, magic. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's more intentional magic now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice. Nice. But it, it it must be oh, like powerful a, magic, yeah, um, yeah. But it is. It it seems like um, I I don't usually have people who have been working on the same project for twenty five years. It's it's very rare these days. I mean, as you know, in your consulting world as well, like you know, people come and work on something, move on to the next one. But it is, if if you look look back, um, and if you look into the future using your time travel techniques. <laughs> 
<laughs> Would you think there is going to be another rewrite in a different language with whatever the, you know, I wouldn't call it difficulties, but uh, whatever the yeah tiny kinks that you have in closure that needs to be fixed? I think that's a very good question. And before I answer it, I just have to say one thing. Yeah, um, so you started rewriting it in Rust? Okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> and that is 25 years ago when I started writing this game, Emacs was already 25 years old. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That's, that's, yeah, that's mental. But uh, that, that's the, yeah, anyway, yeah, come yeah. back to the, your, your stuff now. So, so, the, so the question. Um, yeah. I, I used to learn a new programming language every year mm. because I had read the Pragmatic Programmer's book yep. and it yep. told me to do that. <laughs> yep. And it stopped when I learned Clojure. <laughs> I am no longer learning a programming language each year because I'm home. <laughs> I am, and, and the last 10 years have told me uh, that I have chosen right. Um, mm. I, there's so much cool stuff going on just in the closure and closure uh, uh, yeah, community world, ecosystem, and I'm I'm learning. So I, I'm just I'm just sort of pining for another Rich Hickey talk yeah. where he can blow my mind again. <laughs> um, he's he's done that quite a few times, but yeah. uh, I, I I want more. Uh, but mm. yeah, closure, especially with closure script, especially with Datomic. It's such a beautiful language and such a beautiful environment and everything. So I do not think I will rewrite uh, my game mm. Um, mm. the next 25 years. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, go, go ahead, Christine. No, I, I just want uh, like one thing I've been thinking about because I did, did the same, like was jumping yeah. technologies and whatever. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, but I think it's interesting now to have worked mostly on this language for, for 10 years. Uh, and the language hasn't changed a lot. Like it gained a few minor features, but it's yeah. roughly like more or less stayed the same. And this has uh, allowed me to like hone my skills with it in a completely different way that I've never experienced in any other technology. Mm. Like I'm not spending time relearning how to route requests in the web framework yeah, yeah. or like yeah. like not relearning things I already knew. Instead, I'm just like very slowly honing my coding skills. Mm -hmm. And the code that I write now is, uh, I, I don't know if I would say very different, but it, it's different from seven or 10 years ago. Mm. It, it's more refined in a way. I worked on the, my 10-year-old uh, Adventure Deluxe code today, Christian. And mm -hmm. I can say for sure, uh, that uh, we have come away. <laughs> uh, because that code is still pretty good, but I would not in a million years write it like that today. <laughs> no. And it's been like, like or we've been working together now for, for many years. And it's like yeah. in the past few years, we've been churning out a few smaller libraries for things yeah. that have kind of come to us after mm -hmm. like dancing around for, for some time. And some of those are tools that I don't think we would have discovered in more of a like an ever-changing ecosystem. Because mm -hmm. uh, you need some time to like work on a stable set of tools to see some patterns emerge. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. So can can you give us some some examples or you know from your experience and from your OSS work 
uh, yeah, the, the I, things that we should know and then the, the, the listener should know as well. Yeah, so like, like the overarching theme has been uh, making shit data driven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, and really, because that's like Clojure did that already mm. ten years ago or whatever. But it took us working with it for some time to see, like, all the amazing places you can do more of that. Mm. Mm. So, like, we had okay. So, for instance, we had Hiccup for a yes. long time, right? Because you yep. can represent the DOM or the HTML template or whatever as data. Mm. Which is cool. Mm. You can use walk to walk around it. You can use tree seek to find things yeah. in it. Mm. You can, like, it's it's malleable, mm. right? Mm. Mm. And then, um, so we did the same thing with um, on the UI. We, we we originally used a library called Quiescent, which is like one yeah. of the many uh, React wrappers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we wanted to get off React for, at mm-hmm. some point uh, because we weren't like. In Quescent, you don't have any component local state, mm. so it's you're only using it as a rendering a library. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, as React was changing, we had to keep uh, fixing <laughs> our wrapper to run after the API changes, and we got tired of that because we were not using any of those features that they were mm. were mm. adding. So yeah. we decided to just drop it. So then we made our own. This is like a small library called DoomDom, which instead mm-hmm. uses another JavaScript uh, virtual DOM library. Mm-hmm. And when we did that, we found more places to use data. <laughs> yeah. So we like it got hiccup support, and then we found that like events that you trigger, mm-hmm. uh, or like uh, uh, event handlers mm-hmm. functions. Like those functions were a thorn because that that was the only thing in our data structure that wasn't data, and then we found a way to express them as data as well. So we built that into the library. So the library now has like a global event handler, and then you can mm-hmm. use data for you can say on click and just a bunch of data, and then those data will be sent along with the event to your global event handler, and boom, everything is data. Yeah. And then the app we were working on had multiple languages. We built an IATN library. Again, mm-hmm. just use data. <laughs> yeah. Because we had like this uh, uh, translate function, TR, that yeah. was like all of our code. Everywhere we wanted text, we called this function. Mm. And then we figured out we don't want to like have this dependency on this library everywhere. Mm-hmm. So how can we get rid of it? Well, mm-hmm. we could put a placeholder here instead. Like a vector mm. with a keyword that says IATN, right? Mm-hmm. And then we can translate the whole structure another place. Yeah, more data. And yeah. these are like it's just some examples, but like um, ideas that have taken some time to develop. Um, yeah. Do you do you, just on a small point there, like a little nitty point? But do you are you starting to use these, or have you been using these like tag literal stuff? Like you mentioned I18N there, is it like a special keyword or is it a hash I18N or is it just like a call on I18N? Yeah, we just used the namespace right, keyword. Right. But actually, the way we built the library, uh, you choose the keyword. Right, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, you just tell the, the library that, you know, here's the dictionary for this keyword and then it finds things that matches. So you've got data for the so. the definitions as well. Yeah, in a way, yeah. 
metadata on the data that you're defining. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, but I mean, no, it's good. Yeah. That's good. And, I get it. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. And uh, let, um, let me do uh, sort of one example. That's pretty cool. Um, because uh, when you write Hiccup, you have this beautiful data structure mm, that you mm. can walk, that you can treat, except for the functions, right? Mm. Because they're totally opaque. Mm. Yep. And uh, and uh, even worse, every time you make a new function, it's different, right? It's a different object mm. uh, reference. Mm. Uh, so um, so the dumdum can, uh, since it can know about the event handler, know what the mm. event handler includes, since it's just data, it can uh, even optimize away up updating that every time. Mm. But the coolest part is since the function is now data, uh, let's say I have a, a button that I press on and it, and it alerts something. Mm -hmm. It's just a JS alert. And uh, that text would be inside the function literal, right? Mm -hmm. So it's hidden mm -hmm. inside mm -hmm. the function literal. But now that it's data, you can use uh, the i18n library <laughs> to mm -hmm. walk the entire structure and including updating the language snippet that's inside the function. And this is something that you would well, first of all, it's not even possible to do without everything being data. Mm. Yeah. But it's not even something that you would think about doing prior to working with this for a while. Mm. Sort of going back to Christian's mm. point, yeah. that the the calmness in the <laughs> closure uh, ecosystem yeah. lets you find new gems hidden there. Mm. Yeah. It's not constantly changing and evolving and new shit is coming that you need to adapt to. There is no no stress of, of that chasing the next version of the language like Swift does usually. Yeah. Every every fucking release. Yeah. And, and, and another thing like also related to this is that while we've been working on these like closure and closure scripts and the mm -hmm. tools, it, the tool set has been quite stable over the past yeah. 10 years. And then let's take a look at the other ecosystems what are mm -hmm. they doing like their tools like in javascript their tools change all the time yeah so they must have much better capabilities than we do right <laughs> no they don't it's yeah. it's just the same stuff over and over again very rarely do you get new actual capabilities yeah if you take a look at like the javascript framework situation today most of them are just uh talking about performance that's yeah. like the main different ways to do things to get more performance. Mm -hmm. I can count on this one hand how many times I had to performance optimize anything the past 10 years yeah. on, on the front end. Yeah, yeah. If you have immutable data, you have good enough performance for almost anything, hmm. at least for the kinds of app stuff we've been working on. Yeah, I mean, I mean not every app needs like a you know, globally distributed CDM spewing in everywhere and then... I think 80-90% of the applications are, are um, with, with the computers that we have, with the browsers that we have, optimize the hell out of everything. It, it doesn't make much sense. Yeah, that's true. And like we like to say also, because we, we work in Norway, right? Yeah. And in Norway, <laughs> uh, almost no one is web scale. <laughs> <laughs> At least if you're targeting the Norwegian market, yeah. it's, it's yeah. not web scale, right? Yeah, the entire population true. is uh, less than like a, a medium-sized city in the U.S., yeah. <laughs> but don't don't you have latency problems? One then? server. Like, you know, people people in all the way there, <laughs> in the north, all the way here. It's, I mean, most people are used to browsing American servers, so I guess they're used to a little yeah. bit of latency. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. 
nice um <laughs> but uh, you know when when you started javascript when when you were doing these things i remember having this um because i i used to do javascript back in the day as well you know kind of a little bit of front end um probably you know better that there is this underscore and you know the backbone time and there, there have been a couple of things that that were kickstarting this whole functional slash reactive slash heavy front end thingies and but um, if you see current ecosystem in 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 javascript and very much everything has settled down to reframe and how do you see that uh, you know compared to relative to closure script because there has been so many iterations in 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 javascript and then closure script for me it feels like we are kind of settled on on react and that's yeah. pretty much it and so this is for a rant. <laughs> small, oh, this entire podcast is ranting. <laughs> yeah, but a small rant incoming. So, <laughs> yes, yes. Right. I'm actually, okay. actually a little bit disappointed with the ClojureScript uh, community in this sense. Uh, like, mm. not in terms of I don't want to point fingers at anyone, yeah, but yeah. I think it's a little bit of a shame that we've like um, just landed on being a lisp for the javascript ecosystem mm. as opposed to building a better alternative which i yeah. think we could have done mm. and can still do i guess like we are building our stuff but nobody nobody's listening to us <laughs> <laughs> not not this but, uh, podcast but yeah <laughs> yeah but but i mean like so because like the whole front end ecosystem is pretty much just a front to whatever is going on in the javascript world and I don't mean to say that we should have gone the route that Elm took, that like you have to have everything needs to be built into the language or you can't use it. Yeah. That's not what I want. But uh it would have been nice, like at this point, I would have thought that we had uh a native closure script response mm. to React, for instance. Yeah, yeah. That did not include lots of mutable state everywhere. Mm. Like have you seen even modern closure script frontends? have like atoms everywhere yeah yeah and that's like we have better tools than that we don't have mm. to do that shit so mm. why mm. Mm-hmm. yeah that's just, i think it's a bit of a missed opportunity yeah. Cl- closure is a lot more than uh, a lisp and mm. the closure script uh, at least my impression is that uh, people are mainly using it as a lisp on top of the javascript ecosystem and mm. i don't think they're getting all of the happiness out of that that they think they are because (laughs) the ideas in closure are radically different Mm. and uh, i think you can take those ideas and i feel like we have done that um uh into the closure script world as well and uh, the only um uh argument against it that i've ever heard is that it won't perform but it has performed and it (laughs) continues Mm. to perform so it's it's really uh i would i would really uh, hope that people also working on the front end in ClojureScript will start mm. uh, seeing sort of the immutable data, the pure functions, the, the that way of working with uh, code mm. is also the forward in front end development. Maybe you, maybe you will get an opportunity for this because I, I don't know about you, but I perceive that reframe and uh, reframe, oh, damn it. <laughs> That that uh, that React <laughs> is kind of, I wouldn't say jumping the shark, but feels a little bit like that. You know, it feels like there's a sort of bloat coming into it, 
there's a sort of um yeah there's the kitchen sink is coming in now you know um it started off yeah. as very much like a view over the function over a over a dom and now it's getting all kinds of stuff and you see you see other other projects like view and next and stuff like this and they're trying to focus on performance but they're also trying to focus on feedback loops and stuff like this they're trying to differentiate themselves from react in they essentially say okay yeah we get it we get you to the immutable dom but now they're saying actually it's immutable dom uh this um this uh this shadow dom can doesn't matter anymore you know some of them are not even using that um mm. So they're saying, actually, we can do it fast enough without this shadow DOM, which is what I think you started with, you know. So I think it, I think I would say that maybe maybe the the JavaScript world is changing a little bit to give opportunities for that kind of thinking because it feels like they're doing that thinking as well that they see the, but they're going in the wrong way in my opinion. They're going like the of the yeah. <laughs> but anyway, but, <laughs> and I was I was going to say like so they're making the change taking the entirely wrong direction mm. because um so and so I, I'll stop I my rant. To, I I'll stop to... my rant and let you have yours, please. <laughs> I'm just teeing you up here. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't mean to like uh, be a nitpicky, but it's it's the virtual DOM. The shadow DOM is oh, a browser feature. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the virtual DOM, and but the virtual DOM is the good idea. <laughs> Because the mm. virtual dome allows you to have the programming model where every change leads to a full re-render, like the conceptual model. That's the good idea. Mm. And now they're ditching that idea for whatever performance, mm. blah, blah, blah. And they have, so they're like, okay, so you can have surgical updates mm. because you have lots of mutable state combining the view with state, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. That's terrible. Yeah. I don't want that. I'm done with that. I was done with that ten years mm -hmm. ago. <laughs> and and but, that's also what what uh, is my impression that you do in like tools like Reframe. Like you can put subscriptions anywhere, mm -hmm. right? And then you have a more targeted update, which mm -hmm. okay is more performant. But I think a lot of people use those tools, and they don't really know whether or not they need that extra performance. Mm -hmm. Mm. And you're exchanging a worse programming model, in my opinion, for yeah, that performance. Optimizing prematurely, and then thinking you need that without without actually measuring anything. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, I just had like there was recently a long discussion on this on the Clojurian Slack as well, mm. and uh, the fellow who started the discussion. It was a very interesting discussion, but he. Uh, was under the impression that he needed to do this stuff in order for things to perform. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what things told him. Mm, mm, mm. And he had no reason to challenge that. He was like new to UI development. Mm. And all the signs posted to you need to optimize, else it will be slow. Yeah, yeah. But it's not true. But don't you think that like mm. every 10 years, everyone forgets everything? You know, and that's why. That, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then we we keep going. No, but that's why we don't forget things. That's yeah. why we, I think to your point earlier on, you know, is that we we can find the gems hidden on the floor because, we, like you say, there's nothing covering them. 
smearing them, yep. kind of like yeah, yeah. <laughs> putting, putting. It's like like fi- of It's shit. like finding, <laughs> like going to an old house and finding you've got like some linoleum from the nineteen seventies. You pick it up and you realize you've got tiles from the nineteen twenties, absolutely fucking gorgeous. <laughs> but some idiot, like you know, sort of put some shit over them in the nineteen seventies because they thought it was all hippy dippy. And then you get it back yeah. and you say, oh my God, this is absolutely gorgeous. This is beautiful. This is the good stuff. I mean, it feels like we're putting lino on all of our kind of code <laughs> every 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the same with like the HTMX stuff, right? That's, uh, yeah. that's I'm, how I'm we did. I'm curious about your, uh, your opinion on that. And I was about to ask because that, that, <laughs> that seems to be something that, I mean, not, not with closure, but other languages that I dabble with that, you know, that, that feels to me kind of a, lightweight shit than me making complex applications and, and for my limited one person work yeah i mean i haven't used it i haven't yeah. uh checked it out uh, thoroughly but it's yeah. definitely i know what it is because it's what we did 15 years ago <laughs> and uh i would not be surprised if it becomes very popular because i think it's uh, probably a better tool for many many people than yeah. the hugely complicated single-page applications that people yeah. are building now. Yeah, I think that's the that's the that is the problem that I see, or not or not a problem, but a kind of an attitude with every time I deal with the front-end folks, you know, who are building this stuff, and this they immediately start with that gives me PTSD from all the Java EE shit that I made back in the day, knowing nothing better, obviously before Spring told us everything is you know much better, and then. Spring became bloated <laughs> later um, because every time I open this front end projects, you know, I get like the fuck. There are so many redirections, so many classes, so many mm. this, so many that, and why is this so complicated? And as you mentioned, maybe there is no nobody who is telling them there is an easier way. Like you don't need for a fucking twenty page application which can render super fast when you click from page to page. You don't need to yeah. have this huge ass build process, huge ass package JSON. <laughs> I mean, like the thing that we're working on at work now—that's a static yeah. HTML page. That's mm. it. Those yeah. are fast. They're yeah. they're accessible. They're yeah. easy to make. Yeah. Like, what's not to like? But I think what's not to like is the fact that it's not an application. You know, uh, yeah, putting documentation everything- on the internet is should be simple, like you say, and that's fine. But don't you think we should have applications, like, and we should have yeah, good support course. for those? And that seems to me like yeah. that seems to me like where we're going wrong because I, this idea of a document thing being an application thing seems to have been the problem, and now we're getting like back to everyone saying, "Oh, we we'll just make documents." It's like, "Oh, okay, fine." But what about the applications? You know, don't we need that as well? Yeah, we need, but I think we need. Uh, dramatically fewer applications than we have today well fair enough yeah. <laughs> yeah i think i think i think looking at everything like a react application is the fucking problem that that's what i mm. feel like you know yeah. I, n- not not every application need to have like 20 different toast notifications and shit and popovers and this crap and that no it's okay because i can click and then go to the next page and 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 th- there is information density and there is it's okay for a i don't know imperceptible delay if i click a button and then it's just going to you know, render a table again. That's that's fucking okay. Yeah, it's not. It's like most of the time, those navigations will even be faster than. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's it's yeah. Anyway, but um, 
That's, that's I don't probably, know. I mean, for I'm, me, I'm, now, now it's my turn to rant. I guess. But go on. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll stop. But I wanted to go, you know, in a bit different direction in the discussion. Like because what what more and more I see when I'm talking to the startups or the new applications, I see JavaScript being converted to TypeScript, and then also the backend written in TypeScript these days. I mean, if you see most of the new, well, new in the last five years or so. When I when I try to see some open source software that is you know whatever web hostable, suddenly even the backend is now TypeScript, not just the the front end stuff. And and what what is your view on in general TypeScript? I mean I, I guess you know types probably not a not something that you know uh, you would say types are better being in a closure community, but. How do you feel that? How do you feel about TypeScript compilation and the guarantees that you get from from this, and also going into the backend? Yeah, um, I feel like the safety net that Types given me is not a safety net that is very useful. Mm. Um, it will sometimes uh, catch mistakes. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, the main reason I hear uh, that people really like types is that it enables them to do massive refactorings using their IDE. Yep. And uh, I think the massive refactorings are caused by the type systems. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because uh, when I write closure code, I very rarely have massive refactorings. Very, very mm. rarely. And I, I, don't think that's because I can't do them because I don't have types, because I don't need to do them. Mm. I'm I'm working with data. I'm working with pure functions, mm. Mm. and um, there is just not um, big changes needed. Also, there there are not enough big tightly interwoven structures that would exactly. cost you to make a huge refactoring. Exactly yeah. that. But do you use anything for the? Um... Because one of the other things that that types bring in is the, um, if I can if I can call it validation, like you know, making sure that the the data that you're dealing with conforms to some sort of a structure. Um, but do you use any tools for that, like um, specs or or Mali or? Well, let me start by saying that luckily nobody who's using a a, a type language has ever had a runtime exception. <laughs> um, but. Uh, um, <laughs> Because that's yeah. not possible, right? Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, moving on. Um, um, I don't, um, I don't use spec or Mali or anything that inside my application. Mm -hmm. But I have been uh, known to use it on the edges, um, mm. because uh, integrations are are difficult. Yeah, uh, but I am I'm sort of. Uh, thinking that inside my program, it's if there are some extra keys there, I don't care. <laughs> mm. And yeah. I do uh, write a lot, lots of tests. So mm. I, I sort of feel like the tests are the uh, the place where I go to get uh, to cache regressions and so on, um, mm -hmm. including some integration tests, at least uh, the happy days tests that I go. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah. And um, and yeah, it's. It's sort of, um, I feel like the way I work with code is is a lot different uh, in Clojure uh, because uh, you have the REPL there and you have the sort of 
direct access to the raw power of the data flowing through the system. Uh, I guess if you've been working on closure for, <laughs> with closure for a while, you sort of know yeah. this feeling. Mm -hmm. All yeah. the data is just right there. So if I wonder what's the signature of this uh, this function, what's what what sort of data is being sent to this function? Hmm. I am usually able to answer that in a matter of seconds because I can just turn on some scope capture stuff and just look at what's being sent. Hmm. Hmm. But isn't this um, isn't this putting? I'm just being you know obviously devil's advocate or you know just just being um, for a as a contrived example, right? And isn't this putting the um, uh, the the responsibility into the design, the responsibility into the programmer? Because for me, it feels like when I'm when I'm writing, uh, you know, in Angular, like playing with Haskell or playing with Rust, there is that the compiler or the language is forcing me to do some things. And here you're free, but at the same time, we are saying make sure that your data is inspectable. Make sure that your data you you have pure functions. But the language is not forcing me, right? And mm. a couple of closure projects that I've been involved with have been, to be honest, like very fucking painful because. The lack of the discipline. Uh, I'm not saying you know there there are a lot of contextual issues, right? Maybe this is the first closure program that people are writing or whatever. But it seems like the 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 guardrails that that Richie was talking about were are not there in in closure for me. Like, and the, on the other hand, I get all this freedom and the REPL and you know inspectability and um, all this raw power as you mentioned. But at the same time, the the other side of the you know, a lot of power is a lot of responsibility. And it seems like the responsibility is on the design, is on the, you know, programmer themselves. Do, do yeah. you agree or do you see? I, I think uh, you have a very good point. And I, uh, I think uh, this uh, sort of boils down to how many developers are involved. Hmm. Uh, because yeah. if you have lots of developers, let's say, I know Nubank is doing pretty well, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like if you have a small team, like now it's just me and Christian working together, hmm. then uh, you can you can rely more on people doing shit the way they're supposed <laughs> to do them. <laughs> and less if you have like sort of 30 people yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. running everywhere. Yeah. Uh, but I would like to say just one thing about how Clojure doesn't force the structure upon you. Uh, I think it actually does. It's just a, on a different abstraction level it forces mm. immutable data mm, upon you mm. yeah and you you can and i have seen closure code bases where you have sort of worked around that using <laughs> and everything is sort of still in a mess of objects mm, and mm. the mutable data and look yeah. but if you sort of work with the grains of the language i think you have sort of you sort of naturally fall into uh the imperative shell functional core pattern mm -hmm. um, uh, which is uh, a beautiful way to work in my opinion yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, is it like a good test for a new code base is to check how many atoms do you find mm -hmm. <laughs> and then you can have you get one penalty point for each after the first yeah yeah <laughs> yes uh, from what i heard datomic has one atom and yeah. uh, if, if datomic can do with one atom you can as well yeah, for sure. Fair enough. But I, yeah. um, I just want um, so I think like for if you're getting acquainted with a new code base, um, I definitely see the benefit of some typing 
at like the documentation at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's just yeah. to quick quickly orient your way around. Yeah. Yeah. But another thing so, so this is another case of the that I talked about before, things that we have refined over time, is I think we've gotten more uh precise with our naming, for instance. Spend mm. more time on naming now than I did some years mm. ago. And being very careful not to use the same name for different things. That's mm. I've done that a lot. Uh, mm. At least to use the same name for two almost same things. <laughs> That's one thing we're actively working on avoiding now. I think uh, using more namespace keys. Mm-hmm. Like use the tools you have to to impose some structure on your code base. And if you do these things right, of course, there's nobody helping you. You have to figure it out for yourself. But if you do that right, then I think navigating the code base also gets easier. Because whenever you see that, you know, here are some, whatever, I can't think of a single noun. Uh, <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> here are some pens. Then you know, yeah. oh, it's pens. I know what pens yeah, are. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's it's not those kinds of pens or those it's it's just pens. Yeah. So, like if you can build a strong vocabulary in your code base, that will also aid in 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 navigating it. Yeah. It it does seem like sound sound like a little bit like domain driven design, like you need to yeah, make yeah, yeah. sure that you have the right uh, right entities and bounds and, and yeah. contexts. And, yeah, yeah, fair enough. You mentioned uh Magna that uh you use the REPL. Is that something that is still because it's funny how people evolve with the REPLs. So I'm interested in your sort of stories, like when you're pairing or when you're working alone or whatever. Well, how do you feel like the REPL, like if you ditched it or are you still using it? How, how, what's it? What part does it play in your sort of like uh, development process these days? I would say the REPL as sort of this buffer where I'm looking at the REPL and typing into the REPL that I haven't done for many years. Um, now the REPL is just, well, I'm using Cider in Emacs. Uh, I'm actually using, now we're using both LSP mode and Cider um, <laughs> together. And it's uh, it's beautiful. Uh, but uh, Cider is sort of the, the purveyor of the REPL. And it's uh, uh, sort of the lifeblood of the editor. It's, mm. uh, it's in the background. I don't look at mm. it, but I can evaluate code everywhere. I can... Uh, turn on my scope capture to get a example value wherever I'm constantly typing code into a comment block at the end of every namespace, mm. trying mm. out stuff, uh, just working with the code uh, with very fast feedback uh, all the time. And uh, we've, it's just, it feels like part of the editor more than a separate REPL mm. for me mm. at this point. It's interesting. What about yourself, Christian? Is it very similar, or do you have a different sort of take? No, <laughs> very similar. <laughs> like you ask, have you left the REPL behind? I made big eyes because that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> the REPL is like uh, has become one of my favorite things about this language. It's like uh, I like so. Um, a long time ago, I was a huge fan of uh, test-driven development, and when I discovered mm-hmm. test-driven development. Uh, my excitement was about the same thing. Like I could write a small function mm-hmm. and have it executed immediately mm-hmm. in several different ways. Mm-hmm. It's like amazing. And then when I discovered the REPL, it's like 
what do I want this tests for? <laughs> yeah. Like, let me yeah. just uh, let me assure you. Uh, when Christian said that he was a big fan of test driven development, um, he actually wrote a book on it. <laughs> so yeah, it was I was about to ask. Was it on JavaScript or was it only on 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 Closure? No, as well? there was a test driven development with JavaScript. Oh, pure. Yeah. Okay, yeah, mm. yeah, nice. But but now you only tell people just use Closure. Just forget it. <laughs> no, I mean I like we still have tests uh, of course yeah. and occasionally we also work in a test driven way. Mm. Uh sometimes that uh is uh okay, but for the most part like the REPL took over that feedback loop mm. for me. But yeah. I imagine like the advice in the book still stands for the JavaScript folks because they don't have that same feedback loop yeah, so yeah. it makes sense, you know. Yeah, yeah, mm. pro probably. But that's why I'm not so interested in yeah. JavaScript anymore. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but we, if you watch this uh, prepare program on uh, Parents of the Dead, you can see us writing plenty of tests. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. So it's we haven't stopped doing that, and we're still writing the tests uh, before we write the production code. Yeah. Uh, but maybe in a lesser degree that it's uh, driving the design, right, right. sort of yeah. test yeah. first yeah. instead of TDD. Mm. Yeah. 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 And and now we also it's like um, sometimes writing the tests. First is not as easy, and then we still have the REPL to to lean on. Mm -hmm. So you have mm -hmm. like good options either way, and mm -hmm. also like if again from the screencast you can see the way that we write the test, which we're still using the REPL as for typing the test out. Yeah. Like okay, I want to call this function. What does it do? Okay, so I want to then pick out this thing. What do I get then? Okay. So the REPL is like part of the experience all the time, even when we're writing tests before the code. Mm. Maybe yeah. it's a good it's Maybe, a good I moment think, for you to pitch yeah. Parents of the Dead. I think. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. So, yeah, because we keep saying yeah, as yeah. if as if you know it's. I mean, it, maybe everybody knows about it, but there might be one or two people who are uh, living under. Uh, <laughs> yeah, still doing JavaScript. You know, they they probably need to know what this is. <laughs> I, I let me start by saying um, we have been trying to sort of preach closure without preaching it uh, because yeah. you can't sort of hit people over the head with, you should be using this and that. And yeah. uh, they also get tired of hearing, oh, wow, this is so amazing. You have to try it. Oh, yeah. uh, that doesn't work either. So so how do we get more people into this amazing language? And sort of the place that I feel like, uh, at least currently, uh, I won't hold Magnar in 10 years to this, but I feel like this is my place now. Closure. And this community is my place. Mm. Mm. I want more people to discover what I have discovered, and I want to do it without well, preaching. I, I've, yeah. without mm. preaching. And yeah. the way that we are trying to do this here is just build something cool and let people be part of it. Mm. Come mm. watch us code something. And uh, we have done a couple of uh, uh, a couple of uh, talks on conferences that are not closure conferences. Where yep. we just start using closure uh, on uh, <laughs> typing out closure without even uh, making a big deal of it. <laughs> yeah. Look, let's build something. Uh, let's type the parents in the wrong place. Who cares? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so parents of the dead is sort of the, the latest chapter in that uh, story, uh, where we're building a game from scratch. Uh, where the entire screencast starts in episode zero, where we do MK deer. Right. And create right. an empty depth Eden file, hmm. and you can watch this struggle all the way to to a finished game. Uh, at least it's not finished yet, but it's we have I think twenty six episodes so far. 
Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. And also, it's on, it's on I can't guarantee yeah. that it will be finished because uh, this season is like we already did this in Norwegian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And, and we finished the game. Then we figure out, wow, that's not a lot of audience. Should we have done this in English? Okay. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, <that's true>. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, well, we have already reached all the four Norwegians who are into closure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> or not into closure, others. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> two others. <laughs> and, nice. Um, and, yeah, and, so, and 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 uh, like I uh, also just because we did. Um, I don't remember. Was it part of the screencast or not? I don't, we did uh, like a Parents of the Dead live session uh, at the conference hmm. uh, last year, and then we had some colleagues come and uh, so they. Uh, it was the last talk of the day, I think, or next to last or something. So the uh, they had started serving beer, so people came in with beers. <laughs> And then a colleague of us uh, handed out like small bags of candy to everyone who mm. came in the room. <laughs> so it's uh, so it's like pair programming, and we're making actual things that work, yeah. but it's done in a light tone, and it's yeah, supposed yeah, yeah. to be like mildly entertaining somehow. Nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, let me pitch let me pitch one more thing about Parents of the Dead. Yes, which is topical on top of it. The Server client architecture in Parents of the Dead is hilariously cool. <laughs> it's uh, it's not something that you can use for very many things, but mm -hmm. it is sort of uh, a, an idea boiled down to its very essence. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would uh, I would watch that screencast just for that uh, architecture. Nice. <laughs> it's of course based on data. Yes. Um, so that's the teaser. No spoiler alert. That's the teaser. The teaser is come and come yeah, and see yeah. the data-driven architecture. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think uh, it, uh, the client has it has a uh, one file with components, and then it has about I don't know twenty lines of code. Yeah. Something like that. Twenty or thirty Ooh. lines of code. No, that's it. Uh, and it's a fully like interactive, client-driven web game. Mm. So it's pretty cool. Sweet. I'll, I'll make sure that I'll put the links in the in the in the notes. Uh, um, just one one more question regarding regarding your closure projects and you know the the consulting work that you've been doing. And so obviously you both are well versed in closure and you know you know what you're doing and you design the applications. And what happens when you hand it over to other mortals? You know <laughs> <laughs> what what is going to happen to the to the code base or how do you educate them or how do you see you know uh, the the maintainability and the longevity, given all the you know given a few problems that we discussed so far. So far, I think we have left behind um, closure teams uh, mm. with uh, uh, some. Uh, the common story <laughs> almost is, wow, I can work with closure there, <laughs> and then they come and they work with closure yeah. there, and we leave. Uh, oh, nice! Yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty much, uh, except for maybe one place uh, where uh, no one wanted to uh, to maintain it, and that's still running. It's just the same old yeah. thing that's going strong because there's mm. no breaking, there's no breaking changes. Mm. Oh. Yeah. So it just uh, it just keeps running. Yeah, and uh, yeah, but it should also mention that we're not actually consultants anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we just uh, just. A month and a half ago, we both took a job in the Norwegian government, mm -hmm. so we now work there in the like um, what's it called Norwegian Food Safety Authorities. Yeah, where we're hoping to build something of a uh, uh, what you call it 
something sort of, of a sort of a closure uh, group or yeah yeah no oh, so you're gonna you're gonna expand the a beachhead closure yeah well yes. they have so so they have like really understood uh product teams and uh yeah. and um oh my god uh what's it called when the team can do what it wants autonomy autonomous, autonomous. autonomous. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and, Ex- except talking about <laughs> what what it is called yeah. autonomous teams and they have like free uh choice oh, of technology. Free choice technology nice so we yeah, said yeah. like okay so if we come here we'll be doing closures that that's still cool and they said yeah that's cool and then we said okay we're coming <laughs> oh. and, this is, <laughs> and so now we're building our stuff this way other people mm. are interested and we're hoping that over time you know we, we can spread the joy mm. you know get other teams interested and you know ideally like create more jobs for other people who want to work with closure to come and join us yeah so you'll do more slurping than barfing <laughs> That's right, <laughs> and and uh, yeah, and also hoping to basically not leave our projects behind. Like we want to stay with yeah. our projects and and, uh, and work yeah. on them long time. Yeah. yeah. Um, are there any any specific? Um, sorry, are there any other projects that you want to highlight, or people should know about uh, their OSS or some other things that you're working on? Um, um, we have so many open source projects. <laughs> <laughs> should, they should go and check your GitHub profile. <laughs> I think I think the most important uh, open source project that the two of us have made, uh, and uh, ma- Christian mainly, is a hiccup. Uh, not hiccup, yeah. dum dum. Yeah. Uh, which yeah, is, yeah. Uh, I think that's sort of the way to do data driven frontends with ClojureScript. Mm. Uh, hiccup is uh, dum dum is very very good, uh, especially yeah. now that it has support for the data events. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, excellent. excellent. Super, mm. cool. Um, yeah, I, I I, I'll a, mention. Yeah, I'll, uh, let me Go just ahead. mention one more thing then. Yes, uh, yes. Because I also have a project called Portfolio. Yeah. Um, which was recently funded by Closureists Together. Okay. Yeah. Which I'm very grateful for, and uh, mm. so that's cool. You can check that out. That's um, it's like dev cards or a storybook oh, yeah. or yeah, okay. whatever. Yeah. Uh, Except it has more features, basically. <laughs> like we've been using dev cards since forever. It's like a great idea. Mm-hmm. And then I discovered that the JavaScript uh, community had taken this idea and ran with it and created a storybook. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> they can't we, have, we are not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they can't have better tools than we do. <laughs> <laughs> and then I tried like to be a good citizen and use it from like just use a storybook. Yeah, and uh, to do that from ClojureScript was I just after having written all the configuration files, I immediately realized that I'm not going to have the patience for this stuff. <laughs> nice. And then so I create create my own thing. Yeah. Super. And and what state is it right now? Is it um, beta or is it you know already being used and and people can start using it? Yeah, yeah. it's, it's okay. very fit for use. Um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Super. It's, uh, basically, it does pretty much all the things that I wanted it to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, yeah, but it's, some work is happening on it. But yeah, like yeah. the main effort, from my side at least, uh, I think is is done. So, so is the idea just Super. to sort of because uh, in a minus in a storybook basically is you write the kind of views and the pages and the you know essentially all the flow goes into the storybook, and then you plug in like the closure script components afterwards. Um, so uh, how are you kind of like separating those two things yourself in your tool or aren't you? Um, 
it's it, basically it's just a tool for you to render examples of your UI components. Oh, okay. That's it. You just you take your components and you feed them with different data sets, and you give the examples name names, and then the tool displays them for you, and it, it provides you with some uh, tooling to. Um, to look at basically, so you can change the viewport size to see how it works mm-hmm. on mobile versus desktop. Uh, you can run split views and check it with light background, dark background. Yeah. So if you're like working with a designer, that's the sort of thing that you would use. Yeah. yeah. And we even use it like it's a Clojure script app that runs in your browser, but we use it also for our statically rendered Clojure backends. Then we just create functions that return hiccup. And put them in CLJC files, and then we use Portfolio to to work on the components, and then we run them from the backend to render HTML strings, basically. Right, right, nice. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, well, we're almost. Uh, I think we're a little bit over time, but that's not a problem. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> and and um, yeah, big thank you for for joining us uh, all the way from uh, from Norway. <laughs> yeah, thanks for inviting us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been it's been amazing, and I, I know there is a you know super vibrant community in in, in Norway, especially for closure. And you know, uh, Eric has been you know doing mm-hmm. some closure meetups there, and uh, uh, I should thank him for asking me to ask you <laughs> to to know more about uh, more about this stuff. And um, I was very um, impressed by you know especially the humility and people who are so fucking smart and and you know. Uh, <laughs> Although it's it's a tiny country, and then you're doing well, tiny as in number of people, obviously not. Yeah, in the it is in. tiny. Yeah, yeah. It's tiny but, but long. Some... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, but it, hey, uh, it's it's amazing to see. And and Magnar, obviously, you know, thanks a lot for all the Emacs stuff. And I've been a fan forever. You know, from from the Emacs rock stuff and uh, all the all the packages that you've been putting out and. I'm not. I'm not an e-list packer in on any sense of the word, but I'm copy pasting shit from people like you <laughs> has been uh, has been amazing for me. <laughs> so nice to hear. It's that, been amazing for me as well. <laughs> Are you just admitting, Vijay, that you're an e-list script kitty? <laughs> nah, yeah, that, I can. I can say I'm just a kitty there. Okay. I don't know, I'm not. I'm not a pro or anything. I mean, there are vj.el in my thingy with a bunch of. Dev advice, dev hooks, and all that crap. But uh, as you know, everybody's Emacs looks like going into somebody else's home and then <laughs> somebody <laughs> else's bathroom. And <laughs> you should check out the like I mentioned earlier. We we when we started a new job, we decided that it's time to take some care with our uh, Emacs config. So we rebooted it, and it's oh. on uh, among those GitHub, and okay. it's turned out really nice. Actually, we used some newer features in Emacs, and it's you can actually read it. And it's uh, <laughs> at least still at this point, one month in, is yeah. uh, still quite uh, tidy and nice. So yeah, you yeah. can check it out. I think I think one of the beautiful things that I noticed with all these Emacs, if I can call them distributions, is that I can just pick the parts. You know, oh, mm-hmm. this is this is how they are doing it. This is super awesome. This is how I want the whole use package thing has been done in a different way here. So I can just copy paste it here. It's much nicer and. Yeah, I don't need to wholesale switch to the whole thing, but you know, it, it makes it very easy to to learn from all the you know Emacs gurus like you. So you're building your own lightsaber. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. 
Anyway, um, thanks a lot, uh, Magna, and thanks a lot, Christian, for joining us. And it's been it's been fun. I'm sorry I missed you guys when when you're in uh, when I was in Norway. Yeah. But uh, I was very disappointed that a celebrity like me appearing in Norway, and then you decide <laughs> not to be in the country. You know? I feel insulted Ooh. now, and uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. you're on enjoying your life with the, when I'm in Norway. No, that's not that's not right. <laughs> You'll have to come back and then we'll join you for oh, lunch. Oh, yeah. certainly, certainly. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'd love to come back. And um, again, thank, thanks a lot for Eric. And um, especially I want to mention Frederick, I think. There is very, this young chap who works with Eric. And it's one of the guys. And then he he met me and then he was like, oh, this is amazing. I've been listening to your podcast when I was studying in London. And there is still younger generation listening to this so Frederick wow. if you are still listening I apologize <laughs> for the shit <laughs> but but he's working in closure with Eric and um, you know um, it, it's been an amazing community and, and and I love the way that you are you're you're bringing closure via documentation and then even more stuff even more stuff and then letting people know that there are better ways to do things and and uh, yeah so it's an inspiration you know and I hope you're gonna make the entire uh, Norwegian food even safer with yeah. <laughs> with closure. <laughs> safer and more functional. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> Sweet. That's it from us. Thanks, Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of DefN. And the awesome vegetarian music or the track is Melon Hamburger by Pizzeri. And the show's audio is mixed by Walter Dillert. I'm pretty sure I butchered his name. Um, maybe you should insert your own name here, Dillert. Walter. If you'd like to support us, uh, please do check out our Patreon page. And you can show your appreciation to all the hard work or the lack of hard work that we're doing. And um, you can also catch up with uh, either Ray with me for some unexplainable reason. Uh, you want to interact with us, then uh, do check us out on Slack, Closure in Slack or Closureverse, or on Zulip, or just at us at Defen Podcast on Twitter. Enjoy your day and see you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.